people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Welcome to Twelve Rules for What? My name is Sam. I'm Alex, and we're going to be talking about the Brexit Party, UKIP. Tommy Robinson. And a tiny bit about the European elections. We need to talk about like why the Brexit Party is founded at all. So basically, uh, what was the whole left by UKIP? What has happened to UKIP in the last kind of like three years? So the, the, so argu- the argument Batten. I've seen is that um, it's kind of good because UKIP doesn't have this, clearly UKIP doesn't have this strong support because all, all the UKIP base left UKIP and voted for the Brexit Party, which is obviously a stupid which is obviously dumb because, like, all it speaks to is, like, the cult of Nigel Farage yeah. and his ability to mobilise, like, 25% of the... No, 30% of the MEP voting electorate will just vote for him no matter what vehicle he's in, basically. That's terrifying because he's essentially wields, like, a... He's, he's going to be the front-runner for the... Re- while he's still alive. While I think, he's still running. Yeah, I think your comment about Tommy Robertson having an audience, not a movement, is even more relevant in the case of Nigel Farage. Right, he's the person who has like a, an audience, has like a kind of people who will just kind of do whatever he says. And what we're kind of seeing on the right, instead of a kind of convergence of these two positions, actually what we're seeing is like increasingly many splits between these positions. So we're getting like a high Tory position that Nigel Farage takes, and we're getting like a kind of a street movement, like increasingly far cl- close to the kind of like you know white nationalists, right? Like Generation Density are now showing up at UKIP events. Um, I mean, they 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 always. They always have been. They always have been kind of like circling around, but like they are there, like showing their flags, trying to recruit from the UKIP base. The biggest single increase in UKIP membership um, ever, as far as I can tell, was during June 2018, which is the beginning of the Free Tommy movement. So they were going, the people, loads of people were turning out for Free Tommy events. Tommy, Rotten Robertson was increasingly aligning himself to UKIP, and people were joining UKIP via that. And so what really UKIP has really done, yeah, instead of yeah. disappear, is just kind of harden, solidify, loads of the kind of like, um, more like high Tory support has gone over to the Conservatives, and now to the Brexit Party. But they may be still in the Conservative Party, but they're voting Brexit. And this small group of people has like kind of really densified their position, and they're becoming increasingly far right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the UKIP were, were like always like, they always flirt in their, in their like most contemporary formation. They always flirted with like far right politics. Always, um, they you think of Farage in the in the referendum campaign with that big poster of all the queues of immigrants trying to get into Britain. Oh, it's much worse than that. So in two thousand and five, they so in two thousand and five in two thousand and five they that they would have an electoral pact with the BNP. Um, after they kind of both kind of outcompeted each other and they was acknowledged they were, by both parties they were kind of competing for the same. Kind of competing for the same, uh, I guess, like a uh, uh, constituency, and Nigel Farage said, "Absolutely not. We're not going to have this kind of alliance between you know the two parties." And so Nigel Farage is kind of like an odd figure here, because in some way he's kind of like containing UKIP, which has always had these kind of uh, virulent, like uh, racist elements in it, um, and he's just kind of putting an acceptable face on it and even kind of containing some of that. So as soon as he disappears, he's kind of taken out like a nuclear containment rod, like the entire thing kind of. Uh, I mean, like much further for that. this campaign, UKIP did like totally fuck it. Like, it might, it might, it might have been a good idea to get Sargon of Akkad to come in uh, and mobilise his base of people and get them into the party and like give this like kind of eggy like, kind of youth thing going on, even though he's like what, like thirty eight years old. To, to stand the, the the real mistake is standing as standing him as an MP draws a level of scrutiny which clearly he was not prepared for. Like yeah. he, there was like no preparation or like groundwork done on like ameliorating the, the you know the Jess Phillips rape comment 
tweet. And in fact, as it went through and he started kind of like lashing out like a little child, he like kind of started making these like re, re like litigating the joke and making these like even more horrendous kind of like comments about Jess Phillips. And honestly, the whole, UKIP's whole MEP campaign became about, became about Sagan and about rape. And um, Gary Batten was obviously very frustrated with this. And, you know, every time he got asked about it, he would like huff and puff and stuff. But UKIP, UKIP shouldn't have had the collapse that they did. And it speaks to like the kind of political acumen of, of like Farage that he was able to keep this kind of like claptrap kind of punisher on the road for so long um, because he kind of sticks together the Brexit party from a whole like disparate group, you know, like revolutionary communist party people. And then the, uh, the and then next editor of Loaded magazine, Jacob Rees-Mogg's sister and, you know, all these like fucking mental people like just kind of sticks together and Widdicombe. And fucking Whittacombe is now an MEP. And Whittacombe and Claire Fox are the same party. What is going on with that? Um, but they, they were stitched together by the cult of Farage, ultimately. For those people who are not in the UK, uh, it's important that you just go and look these people up on Wikipedia because they have great, great entries. Claire Fox, and Whittacombe. What's Anne the Whittacombe, name of the guy? Like, Ma- Martin Dorby, the guy yeah. who was the... Uh, he used to be the editor of the Lads Mag. Uh, bunch loaded. of fucking freaks, I tell yeah, you. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, even the people, the person who set up the Brexit party, uh, Catherine Blakelock, no relation, uh, had to resign like almost as soon as uh, the party became like an actual electoral vehicle and as soon as it had registered with the Electoral Commission because it was uh, found out that she had had some like, really anti-Islamic comments in her um, past on Twitter. She'd retweeted people like Tony Robinson. She'd retweeted um, Mark Collette, who's like an out-and-out white supremacist. You're like an ideological neo-Nazi. Yeah, uh, much more so than like Tony Robinson is. I mean, Tony Robinson is not a neo-Nazi. So yeah, the, the, even though Brexit seemed to be this, the Brexit party seemed to be this kind of single-issue party that was basically saying like one thing and one thing only, always, 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 as with like libertarians, for example, you think, okay, they want free markets, they want these kind of set of quite like boring technocratic things. You always find that they're underneath the surface. They're like completely like, you know, um, absurd racist uh, monsters um, more or less without exception I'm not sure that I agree with that Sagan and Fox would work like I think maybe actually um, I mean like I, th- I think he was definitely po- poisonous completely poisonous I'm not sure that people don't vote UKIP on the basis that they're like offended by uh, the kind of outrageous things that some people in UKIP have said right like they've always had that problem they've absolutely always had that problem mm-hmm. and it's never really been a kind of issue I guess like Nigel Farage was much better at like gatekeeping on the right, he's much better at kind of shutting people out. Much better kicking invited, people out. Like you can invite Milo, you're not political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole thing. And yeah. yeah like, no, no, um, even the kind of candidate before, Henry Bolton. Um, he uh, in the leadership election uh, uh, tried to say that uh, Anna Marie Waters couldn't stand uh, because she had brought the party into disrepute by basically being um, an anti-Muslim activist, and she kind of went off to start for Britain. All these people who have been kicked out, uh, Bolton, and also. Robert Kilroy Silk, Paul Nuttall, they've all gone off to start their own kind of ventures. So there's kind of a, a splitting effect that's taking place on the far right as people kind of rise through UKIP, attempt to do something kind of charismatic, believe in their own kind of charisma in a kind of Farageian way. Fail. Completely fail, split off, become invested in these kind of microscopic communities, which are then being kind of brought back into the fold. So Anne-Marie Waters turned up at the Free Tommy uh, event back in 2018, and she was one of the main people talking. If you don't know about her, well, she... Well, Anne-Marie Waters was, was at um, Tommy Robinson's MEP event launch. Right, yeah. So she's being kind of brought back into the fold. My point is that Gerald Batten, in some sense, all people who have kind of sharded off of UKIP, 
in this kind of uh, period of fraction after Nigel Farage leaves in 2016. When I mean, at least he steps down from leader. Yeah, he steps down from the leadership. When he steps down from being leader, all these people kind of who try and dominate the, come to dominate the party in in his vacuum make their own parties, all of them fail, and now they're actually being brought back in. So Eukibis, I think, I think Eukibis is like a long-term... Like reconsolidating. Yeah, I think it's a, it is a long-term threat. I'm not sure the full Brexit, the Brexit party is going to stick around for longer. But I mean, that, that's... Um, I'm not as entirely as, as convinced... As long as the Nagel stays in, the Brexit party is going to continue to be a political force. Whether they break through into MP, uh, to, to, in a general election, yeah. something Nagel Farage has never been able to do, No. Uh, whatever vehicle he's had, it's another question. But he knows how to run an MEK campaign. He he is the guy in the Europe, like the European elections that people turn to when they want to vote Brexit. Yeah. And he's got that cash and he's not going to lose it anytime soon unless he turns out he's like, you know, nonce or something. So my question is basically, like, will UKIP become a new national front? No, definitely not. Do you not think they're adopting the kind of panoply of tactics the national front adopted? Have they not said... There are all these people who cannot join this party, who, after a certain kind of crisis point, Nigel Farage here is A.K. Chesterton. He's kicked out of the party, and then John Tyndall becomes the leader. This Tom Robertson jo- joins. A Tom real, is real, real, real reach. A real reach. Tom sure. Robertson is not in UKIP. In fact, in the past few months... He was an independent MEP, yeah. UKIP has distanced himself from Tommy Robertson in some respects. And when Batten leaves, I don't know, I'm, it's uncertain whether Batten's going to win the internal UKIP election for leader. If Batten doesn't get in and one of the other people on NEC gets in, then Tommy Robinson's got no chance in UKIP. And I think he's already he already knows that. Clearly, Tommy Robinson, if he could have done, would have run as a, a UKIP candidate. He would have he would have had a party a party bit a structure behind him. He would have had a would have hadn't had to raise so much money. He would have had a certain amount of publicity that that's not just traded off his celebrity. But it, they didn't want to do that. The UKIP ran against him in the in the MEP election. And, and so did the Brexit party, and, and obviously that's why he didn't... The problem with the problem Tommy Robinson faced is, it, is his, you like, kind of constant weakness. Is he's got a very... He's, he's got a large audience, but it's thinly spread across the whole world. So, like, when you when it comes to, like, projecting, like, political organising, political authority in one particular locality, he's left wanting, because he's only got 2% of the whole population across the UK. In the northwest. he's just 2% still. So when people come to his free Tommy demos, they're coming from all over the country. And that's why he's never going to... The political path is a dead end for Tommy Robinson, um, ultimately. Um, and he can't, he can't break out. Like, we, we said this in the, in the episode we did about him, but Tommy Robinson has 55% name recognition, which is basically... Unha- like, basically only Jeremy Corbyn and, and May, or whoever's going to be next Prime Minister, has that level of name recognition. Because um, they're in the news all the time. Um, but he's got like a you know like a six percent approval rating for the whole yep. country, which is and he's got like the maddest disapproval rating. Forget Trump, you know Tommy Robinson's got like a forty percent disapproval rating. There's that amazing video of people in Manchester being asked what they think of him standing there. Yeah, and you just say cunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very simple political commentary, but very effective. Um, yeah, like you said uh, in the episode about neo-fascism, fascism is a is a slur, but it's an effective slur. We should keep using it for that reason. He's got he's got same goes for that word. He 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 can't. He's not going. And this is Tommy's going to turn 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 back to uh, street agitation in some way. He's the election is not a path he can take. But I think I think okay. So I think simultaneously he's going to turn back to street agitation for sure. But UKIP is also going to become much more focused on the street organising. Like their biggest boost to membership was during the uptick in 
kind of far activity in summer of 2018, and it was all about street movements. It I was think, all about like justice and betrayal and the betrayal of the working class by the state, by the powers that be. That kind of thing that they can, that kind of focus they can get behind, makes differentiates them from the Brexit Party, right? Which is nevertheless like has a kind of a a narrative of betrayal, but it's much more narrowly focused narrative of betrayal. Right, it's, I think, it's, it's narrative betrayal of like a particular policy, rather than like a full-scale, complete abandonment of the working class, which is what UKIP, in its new formulation, can pursue. I think, I think you're kind of leading a lot of the contradictions that are still in UKIP. Like a lot of people have left UKIP, a lot of key organisers, whole sections of branches, but there is still like a majority on the NEC, and there's still like a majority of the membership are like old UKIP. Yeah, like, as, as active organisers, like. I, I think Paul Joseph Watson and Count Dankula and, and Sargon of Akkad, they brought in a lot of members, but how that translated across to beyond the meme of it, how it translated off into like actual political activity, I think was very minimal from what I can tell. And these contradictions mean that I think UKIP can never be like a viable, uh, like a, a viable like National Front style party because the National Front was also driven by contradictions, but it was between whether you be like super fash or whether you like temper the fash in order to get some power and then you can be super fash like it was a it was a the contradiction was around a political method rather than like like a such a sharp ideological thing it's like there's a, there's a great difference between like the high toryism of the old guard of ukip who were like you know really tory tories basically and the um the like kind of nihilistic uh lol brigade of these like youtube stars which which is just there's no relation relation in there no there's no relation there but there's also no relation between uh ak chesterton and like the skinheads who ended up after but also that that was taking place over like several decades everything's accelerated now decades i mean i'm I'm, I'm not making this as kind of a i'm not being like you know i'm kind of tying my uh flag to this kind of particular prediction i feel like i mean i feel like i think it's not ak chesterton i mean it, in the National Front, there was like like an evolution for mm-hmm. sure, and I don't think the 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 Chestertonites did not stay in the party after he left. So the National Front was started in what like sixty seven, sixty eight, yep. yep. and Cheston left in seventy one, seventy two. Yep. That's not a long time, and then you've got all this time of Tyndall's dominance, and then the whole Strasserism and the whatever. I'm not certain whether the analogy is that useful because. It was if you if you think of the League of Empire loyalists, they're they're in the context of Britain still having the remnants of an empire, and the the, the threat the the imminence of loss of that empire yep. was what they were playing on ultimately, and they also their their tactics were not that of a political party. It was that of like a a, a stunty um, shock jock kind of series of stunts like heckling, mm-hmm. you know, doing all this stuff that they did. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily totally different from the way that, for example, like UKIP, without taking any substantial amount of political power at all, managed to force the biggest crisis in British politics like since, well, maybe ever, right? Um, I mean, you can't place that all on UKIP. There was like a big portion of the Tory party and Tory party MPs who 
David Cameron is always trying to shut down as well. Yeah, well, they were, they were, so like, there's a kind of a tension here between. I'm, not, I'm, you know, when I'm making this analogy, I'm not saying, of course, like all the actors fall into place exactly, and like mm-hmm. we're hearing just, like, just kind of watching like a complete kind of a revival of exactly the same situation. But I think there's like a, a wing of the Tory Party. There's a wing of sorry. There's a wing of the Conservative Party. There's a kind of a wing of the Tory part, like the Toryish wing of that party or a high Tory wing of that party that is more sympathetic to a street movement that is kind of pulling to the right of it. That street movement undergoes a kind of a crisis when it gets some kinds of something happens to it. So the League of Empire and Loyalists becomes more fragmented, becomes the National Front. UKIP has a kind of crisis of its own success, it succeeds in leaving the European Union. And then that kind of through some sort of pattern transformation, the more radical and more like street inclined parts of that movement win out. And there's a polarization on the right as well. So there's a right of the Tory party and there's the, the, the street movements. There's the National Front versus like the right wing of the Tory party. Mm-hmm. And these kind of dynamics are also here in the contemporary picture. I'm not suggesting that the UKIP is going to be nearly as significant as the National Front was, just because it doesn't have the numbers, because you know, political communities in many ways have moved on. But there are parallels. The Lowell Brigade, as you point them out, are not dissimilar in some terms from the skinheads who join uh, against, after Rock Against Communism. I mean, yeah. And there, there, there are, just to maybe play into your point a little bit, there are like... Um, Batten. has these links to the DFLA. He spoke at their national conference and the DFLA were, were opposed as fascists by anti-fascists in, in October. And there's a, a really, uh, there's an AFN expose, um, the Polish section of the DFLA of like, just out and out neo-Nazis. The DFLA of the Democratic Football Lads Alliance. Thank you. Who did a series did, uh, of uh, massive, well, fairly like massive um, events in 2017-2018. Um, kind of mass protests, uh, ostensibly against you know, terrorism, this kind of thing. But actually turning into an uh, anti-Islamic, uh, anti-Muslim politics pretty quickly. Well, and, that, and that happened over time. Initially, they just didn't like ISIS, really. I don't like ISIS either. No, me too. Either. For I the used these Polish Nazis who were like associated with, associated with the DFLA for security, and studied Tommy Robinson. Yeah. Um, so there are links there, but I mean, not Farag, sorry, Batten used them. Yes. But I still don't really see it. I think still UK is still irrelevant. And I don't see the development of like a particularly like street movement. Like the the, the people the, the the skinheads analogy analogy the lol brigade, they're not a street. They're not they're like basement dwellers, they're not like a street like uh like you I mean we, we have seen these people come out on the street when uh, last year for the Free Tommy Sagan of Akkad was trying to do this liberalist party thing and he got about eighty of like the most <laughs> the biggest losers you've ever seen. Um, like neckbeard losers just to come out and like stand around with him. We literally should have a conversation about milkshaking. Yeah, I think we support milkshaking. What, what is our, else is there to say? I guess it's like, it, it's interesting because it's like the IRL equivalent of a meme. Like there's so much plausible deniability in milkshaking someone. I mean, it is a product of like literally the meme culture. Like the same thing with the the egg the egg boy thing. Yeah. Was that he did the, the egg thing, got beaten up and then he instantly became like a, a meme. Hmm. And... Uh, um, and the same thing happened with the milkshaking. Like he, got mil- Tommy Ross got milkshake once. Everyone was like, ha ha ha. And then the video came out of the of the guy just tipping it over him full on, and it it went viral. And people were like, where's the next one happening? Let's do it to other people. And it, it kicked off very quickly. And it wouldn't have happened without you know that kind of like left meme culture that's developing. I mean, like I, I guess like 
in the internet age, the thing that is most useful are just like really small bits of highly repro reproducible kind of tactical things, right? Which are which memes are, and so are milkshakes. Twelve rules. <laughs> Yeah,